Hey, we've got uh, Kids Church today. Let's take a moment and pray for our, uh, our kids, the one that is here and the ones that uh, are to come. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the children of this church. We thank you for Emma, Lord. Uh, Lord, bless them, be with them, keep them safe, Lord. Uh, Father, I pray for Kids Church. Lord, I just pray, uh, Lord, as we begin Kids Church again today, Lord, I pray for a spirit of multiplication to come over that. Lord, I pray that as we have Emma today, tomorrow or next Sunday, we have two and then four and then eight and then 16 and so on and so on until we just can't count the kids that you're just raising up in your kingdom. So Lord, bless the kids, bless the teachers, be with them. We thank you, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, and I'm back. And I'm back. Wouldn't that be cool? If we have one this week, and then two next week, and then four the week after that, then eight after that, then 16 after that, and then uh, 32 after that, and then 64 after that, and then we have to build an annex because we have more kids than we have adults in here, and so on and so on. And before we know it, we've got kids coming out of our ears. That would be a good problem, wouldn't that be? I'm good for that. Power of multiplication. Uh, you know, it's, uh, we don't get an awful lot of time off. Um, but it was good to take the last three weeks off from you guys. Cindy and I went down to, uh, with our family, we took a family trip down to Puerto Rico and had a wonderful time uh, with our family just hanging out in an Airbnb and uh, uh, seeing some friends down there and catching the beach and the sun. And we really missed you guys. You know, when we got up in the morning, it was 85 degrees and I'm sitting on the patio I was thinking of y'all, uh, believe it or not. Um, but, you know, it's such a blessing to know that uh, we can go out of town. And uh, there were years when we couldn't go out of town because there was no backup or anything like that. So I know John preached once and Brenda preached twice, and I thought they did an awesome job uh, both times. Um, I listened to it when we were gone and, and of course, here last week. So uh, thank you guys. Uh, for doing that. Thank you, James, for, uh, for uh, uh, karaoke worship, which I heard went really well, um, which, you know, that's good. You know, we, we, we joke about to, to worship God, you don't necessarily need the band. Uh, it's nice, but thank you for, for doing that, and thanks to Ben if he's watching for the, uh, I think the week he was here uh, and, and helped out. Um, we're going to start a new series today on a topic that I think is becoming more and more important uh, within the church. Um, and I think this will get us pretty close to Easter by the time we're done. You know, I don't know about you, but I'm getting to a certain age where my doctor wants to see me a lot more often. When I was younger, um, I went to see the doctor when I was sick, and even then I didn't probably go see the doctor much. But now he wants to see me every year. And he wants to draw blood and poke me in places that I don't want to be poked and all kinds of fun stuff. And um, from what I understand, as I get older, it, it, it gets worse. Um, but he's doing that, and, and I get why. It's because I, I want to make sure that everything is working properly because I want to be around for a while. Um, you know, I joke about it. Our retirement plan is the second coming of Christ. So, you know, I want to be here for that, um, you know, if, if God willing. And, and I know in some ways... Uh, for me to do that, I need to take care of myself physically. I need to check things out to make sure that everything is operating uh, properly. 
And for many of us, uh, we've entered a time where we are concerned about our physical health. And I know it within the church. I see it within the church. You know, many of us, uh, many of you, I should say, not many of us, because that's way too generous of myself, are taking time to exercise and taking time and watching what you're eating and you're, you're paying attention to your diet. Um, and, and those are all good things. We are conscious of our physical health. Uh, but there's another aspect of our lives that we need to do a checkup on every now and then. And that's our spiritual health. How are we doing spiritually? Uh, uh, the previous uh, national director of the vineyard used to have this saying, Phil uh, used to say this, he'd meet you and he'd say, how is your soul? Except he'd say it and he'd say, how is your soul? This really deep, penetrating thing. And it was this question of how is your spiritual life going? Because we can have a really awesome, you know, our, our physically we could be doing great and we could be healthy and everything would be going wrong, but our spiritual life could be rotten to the core and we could be dying on the inside. And so I want to take some time over the next couple weeks and I want to look at our spiritual life and just ask that question. How are we doing? I want to do a checkup. And we're going to do it uh, by examining different parts of our body, so to speak, our mind, our eyes, our ears, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I, I did a sermon like this many, many years ago, and it was influenced by a book by Kevin Harney called Leadership from the Inside Out, Examining the Inner Life of a Healthy Church Leader. And so there's some influences in this sermon series uh, from that. Um, and today, I think we're going to start with what might be the most important part of our body, and that's our heart. So let's take a moment, let's pray, and then we'll start. Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence here right now. Lord Jesus, we invite you into this place. Father God, we say, come. Come and dwell with us today. Uh, Lord, uh, we just invite your presence to come and, and just minister to us today, Lord. Father, as we begin this examination of our spiritual life, Lord, I ask that you begin to bring to our attention the areas that we need to work on, the areas that need attention, the areas that may be sick within us, that need your touch, that need your healing. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place right now. Come, Lord Jesus. Just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's one simple fact of life, and that is that when your heart stops, you are dead. Period. You know, some other, others of our organs can fail and we can still be kept alive, but if your heart stops, uh, you're dead. And the same is true in our walk. The condition of our heart determines the condition not only of our physical lives, but our spiritual life. And here's the scary part. We can give an outward appearance of health while being sick on the inside. Uh, tw 12 years ago, about this time, I got a phone call that I just didn't expect at all. Uh, we had a, a woman who was a part of our church. She interned here for years, Charlotte, uh, and she called me from London right before church started. I remember seeing my phone, UK, and I'm thinking, who in the world is calling me at 6 a.m. from the UK? And I picked it up, and it was Charlotte, and she was in tears, and she said, Joe, my mom just died. 
Her mom was the, the, the specimen of health, but what she didn't know is she had a gen, uh, genetic disorder of her heart. And so as she was sitting at the breakfast table, as she was conversing with them and everything looked fine, her heart stopped. And she dropped dead right there. And no one knew that she had an issue. It caught everyone off guard. And there's a warning there for all of us. We need to pay attention to the condition of our hearts. Because on the outside, we can look great, but when it stops, we're in deep trouble. So, so the first question is simple. What does a healthy heart look like? And we see a picture of this in Matthew chapter 22. We're going to start at verse 34. It starts like this. Hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees and Pharisees, uh, silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together. One of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Jesus replied, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. A heart passionately in love with God is the starting point for a healthy life and a healthy walk. In, in, in Revelations, in the second chapter of Revelations, Jesus writes to the church in Ephesus, and he says this, you've lost your first love. And when we lose that love, that first love, our life can be in danger. You know, we, we start thinking that losing our first love uh, would somehow be a noticeable thing, that if we lost our love for Jesus, if we lost our love for God, we would notice it, right? We would be like turning away from the faith. We'd make some tremendous statements. We'd be backsliding. There would be all of these signs around us. But the truth is, is that we can lose our first love and not even notice it. Things can begin to replace Jesus in our lives as our first love. And what's interesting about that is many times those things aren't always bad. You know, we think, well, I'm not sinning, right? I'm not like, you know, just cheating on my spouse. I'm not, you know, stealing. I'm not doing this. So everything must be fine, right? But all of a sudden, concerns for the world around us, for our family, concerns for our career, concerns for our future, concerns for our finance, concerns for our reputation. We may not see how they replace Jesus, but all of a sudden, they become more important in our lives than Jesus. I had a dear friend of mine years ago who started a business, and his sole goal for starting this business was he was going to finance the kingdom of God. I remember him coming to me, I'm going to make so much money in this business that, that whatever you want, just start putting a list together, Joe, and I'm going to finance the kingdom of God. I'm coming alongside of him. That, that was his goal. But the business in time became bigger than the kingdom. And, and all of a sudden, we no longer saw him at church. We no longer saw him in any of the things we did in the fellowship because he was so fixated on getting this business bigger and bigger and bigger. And in time, the business failed. And he was bitter and he was mad about it because he decided that it was God's fault that the business failed because the business was supposed to help God out. You know, he was supposed to make money to help what God was doing 
and God didn't hold up his side of the share, uh, his side of the deal, and so all of a sudden, he had this bitterness. We didn't see him at all. See, that, that's an easy trap for us all to fall into. We think we're doing something good, but all of a sudden it takes, in a bigger side of our life, it becomes more important than Jesus does. You would think for a minister that we never have this problem, right? But this is one of the biggest problems that ministers deal with, that pastors deal with. The church, the building, getting a larger congregation, the activities, they all of a sudden become more important than Jesus did. Our reputation. How, how we compare against other pastors. Do we have a book deal yet? How big is my influence? All of a sudden, my ego becomes more important than, than Jesus. It happens to all of us. It's an easy, it's an easy trap for us to fall us or to fall into. And this is the first test that we always need to check ourselves in. We need to identify the temptations in our life that are pulling us away from our first love, that all of a sudden become more important in our lives than Jesus. We need to ask that hard question of what is more important to us than Jesus right now? What are we more concerned about in our relationship with Him? Because you, know, you read this, what's the most important commandment? Love the, God, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul. That doesn't mean you know, when it's convenient. That means in everything we do, Christ is first and foremost. Once we identify those temptations, then we need to begin to make time for our first love. And, you know, we see that a lot of times in simple ways. How have you made time for prayer? How have you made time to be in the Word? How have you made time just to sit in the Lord's presence? There's an author by the name of Sherry Harney uh, who wrote this, and I think it's really, it's really interesting way to look at how we spend time with the Lord. She said this, Some years ago I began to... I began two very simple practices that have made a big difference in my spiritual life and in the whole feel and flow of my day. First, when I wake up, I roll out of bed onto my knees. I don't let my feet hit the ground because then I will begin running ahead with all my tasks for the day. I am a morning person, and when I get going, I can forget to put first things first. So I go straight to my knees and talk with God. This conversation can last 30 seconds, a few minutes, or sometimes longer. I've noticed through the years that this practice has helped me examine my life and keep good tabs on what is really happening in my heart. This simple discipline has become a physical demonstration at the start of my day of how I want to live. I long for my heart to be bowed down and for God to be first. And then second, I head to a chair in the study and open my Bible. I spend just a few minutes reading a short passage and meditating on God's Word. I know I will sit there later and spend more time studying the Bible, but this is just a chance to calibrate my heart and mind for the day. Think about that phrase. Calibrating your heart for the day. The first thing you do in the morning calibrates what the rest of your day will look like. I get up in the morning. I, I don't do exactly what she does, but I do something simple. Uh, uh, something sim 
are similar. Um, I, I do have one task I have to do before I do anything else, and that's take the dog out. I've learned that if I do anything before I take the dog out, the dog will bother me nonstop until I take the dog out. So I get up first thing in the morning, uh, I open up the door, and I let the dog go and do what the dog needs to do, and I bring the dog back in. And then I grab my Kindle, or my iPad, which has Kindle on it, and I pull up the one-year Bible. And the first thing I do every morning is I read the passages uh, assigned for that day for the one-year Bible. The house is normally quiet, and that's how I start my day. It's in the Word. I'm not studying it. I'm not digging deep into it. I'm just reading it and allowing it to affect me. Because I realize that if I start my day with that, it's a good foundation for the rest of the day. Now, the temptation that many of us have is when we wake up first thing in the morning, I know many of you probably use your, your phones as your alarm clock. So your phone goes off, you pick it up, you turn it off, and then what's the next thing you do? You go to Facebook. You go to Instagram. You go to email. You go to TikTok. You go to whatever. By the way, I've come to this conclusion, and I never was on TikTok until Facebook had reels. TikTok is like crack cocaine, guys. I mean, you want to lose yourself for like hours and not realize where it all went? I started doing that at work when we were dead, and I was like, this is, this is addictive. I just lost two hours. At work, that's okay. When the car wash is dead. Not at a real death. But most of us start with that. We start there. And where does that ground you? Where does that start your day off? It starts you thinking. It starts you working. Many of you probably start your jobs hours before you actually go to your job. What if you calibrated your day differently? What if you calibrated it towards Christ? And started it there. And you're focusing upon Him. You're inviting Him into your day. And when He's in your day, He will lead you and guide you through the day. And perhaps some of your responses, some of your activities, maybe they're going to look a little different because you calibrated differently. Now, after we check our first love, there's a second thing that we need to check. And Jesus talks about this immediately after this first passage in Matthew. Remember the Pharisees asked Him, you know, what's the most important law? The covenant. And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And then in verse 39, he says this, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law of the prophets hang on these two commandments. The second area that we need to check is what does the health of our heart look like as we look towards other people? What's the health of our relationships? How do we feel about those people? Because notice what Jesus says here. All the law of the prophets depend on those two statements. What is our heart response towards God? And what is our heart response towards others? See, the purpose of the law is about how we relate to God. And Jesus understood that authentic relationships with God should lead to a deeper love for people. But the challenge for us is that we forget about that call to love one another, right? We tend to go one of two ways. We look at our spirituality as something that, that, that is just about us. And so we focus on our inward lives at the expense of people. There's a huge craze in the church right now to kind of go into your inward life. We talk about inner healing. We talk about deliverance. 
even some counseling. And I know all of that is good. Don't get me wrong. There's a place for all of that. But we can spend so much time focusing on our inner life that we completely miss all the people around us. I know there are moments where we need to do that, but the cross takes care of a lot of it. And sometimes our inner lives improve when we focus on the relationships that are around us more so than just us. We get this attitude that it's just me following God alone. And then we live as a hermit. Or, we can look at people as a means to an end. And I've seen this. People are just notches on our belt. I remember once when I was uh, interning down in Georgia and training to be a pastor, we went, um, we, we used to go to this, this housing project. Uh, actually, it was a transient hotel uh, that was their version of a housing project. And we'd go every Tuesday and we'd bring McDonald's and we'd pray for people. And I remember once we ended up in this room and there were a bunch of these uh, Hispanic gentlemen that spoke like no English whatsoever. And, and I was with somebody and they started like pounding them with the gospel. And you can tell that these guys just didn't understand a word that we were talking about. And so finally we got to the end and it's like, you know, do you want to say the prayer? And they were like, yes, we'll say the prayer. And it was more like, we're going to say the prayer just so you get out of the room, okay? And so they say the prayer and, I and as we're leaving, I look at them and I'm like, well, what do we do now? You know, I don't think these guys understood us. And, and, and the quote was this, well, our job is just to catch the fish. It's, it's the pastor's job to clean the fish. And it was this attitude where we just got to get people, you know, they're not our problem, they're not our responsibility. We don't have to worry about disciple. That's paid staff, they'll do that. And we can get this attitude about people. I've seen it when we do benevolence ministry. I've seen it in benevolence ministry where where we treat people just as projects, not people. I've seen it in teams that we've brought to Puerto Rico. You want to get on my bad side if we go to Puerto Rico? Treat the people of Puerto Rico like inferior children who don't fully understand everything because they don't speak English as well as we do, like projects. Instead, build relationships. Come alongside. Love people. See, if our heart is not for people, then our heart is not for God. It's for ourselves. And we end up getting to this place of self-worship. We're worshiping ourselves. We're worshiping our inner health. We're worshiping our spirituality. We're worshiping the tasks that we can accomplish. And it moves our heart away from God. See, Jesus gave us a really simple test for this. It's really simple. And it's the one in others. You spend any time in the New Testament, you're going to hear this phrase over and over and over again. One another. One another. So I'm going to read them to you. These are all throughout Scripture. It's used 100 times in 94 New Testament verses. 47 of those give instructions to the church, and 60% of them come from Paul. There's a whole group about unity. One third deal with the unity of the church. Be at peace with one another. Don't grumble with one another. Be of the same mind with one another. Accept one another. Wait for one another before beginning the Eucharist. Don't bite, devour, and consume one another. Don't boastfully challenge or envy one another. 
gently, patiently tolerate one another. Be kind, tender-hearted, and forgiving to one another. Bear with and forgive one another. Seek good for one another and don't repay evil for evil. Don't complain against one another. Confess sins to one another. One-third of them deal with love. Love one another. Through love, serve one another. Tolerate one another in love. Greet one another with a kiss of love. Be devoted to one another in love. 15% deal with humility. Give preference to one another in honor. Regard one another as more important than yourself. Serve one another. Wash one another's feet. Don't be haughty. Be of the same mind. Be subject to one another. Clothe yourself in humility towards one another. Then there's the rest. Do not judge one another. Don't put a stumbling block in a brother's way. Greet one another with a kiss. Husbands and wives, don't deprive one another of physical intimacy. Bear one another's burdens. Speak the truth to one another. Don't lie to one another. Comfort one another concerning the resurrection. Encourage and build up one another. Stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Pray for one another. Be hospitable to one another. How are you doing on those? That's the test. That's how we know what our relationships are like. And there's an importance there on how we treat one another. And the thing is, it just doesn't end with the church. The call is also to love those outside of the church. Matthew chapter 9. Verse 35 and 38. Jesus says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in the synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out the workers into his harvest field. Jesus had compassion for those outside of the church, for the lost. His heart was breaking for them. How is our heart for the lost? Are we trying to protect ourselves from them? Keep them away because, you know, sin is dangerous? Is it us versus them? Or are they just simply another notch in our belt? A healthy heart is one who has compassion and love for those outside of the church, those who don't know Jesus. So our ministry, our outreach, our witness is supposed to be filled with compassion and love, not judgment. So, how do we check our heart for people? There are two simple things. Are we doing the one another's well? And are we making time for those outside of the church? Now, there's a final checkup for your heart. To fully love God, to fully love people, we also need to be able to forgive. Matthew 18, verse 21 says this, Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? And Jesus answered, I tell you, seven not seven times, but 77 times. This is a hard one for us, if we're honest. It's easy to love God. It's easy to show love to others. But when someone hurts us, it's tricky to forgive. 
there's one thing that I've learned. Unforgiveness is like heart disease. Heart disease can come on slowly. It can come on a way where it takes years to show up. And when it does, it can kill you. Unforgiveness is like heart disease. It starts in your heart. It turns your heart hard and dark. And before you know it, it kills our faith. It kills our walk. It kills our life for God. And unforgiveness can become our first love. Have you ever met someone who was so, so mad that that drove every aspect of their life? So hurt that they live with that hurt first and foremost. That that hurt, that unforgiveness becomes their identity. To have a healthy and strong faith and a healthy and strong life, we have to learn how to forgive. Now, the checkup for unforgiveness is really uncomfortable. I don't know if you've ever had a physical, as you get older, there are a couple things that they do that are really uncomfortable, but they're important because if you don't have them done, they're, they're secret killers that can sneak up and, and get you. This is one of them. So find a couple of people who you love and trust and ask them a couple of questions. First, is there anyone who has wronged me who you feel I have not fully forgiven? What's amazing is the people around you can see and hear unforgiveness better than you can. See, when, we're when we hold a spirit of unforgiveness, it oozes out of our life. You hear it out of everything you say. And the people around you know it. They can sense it. They can feel it. They're usually too afraid to tell you about it. Because they don't want that oozing towards them. Second question to ask them. What would you recommend I do to restore that relationship? Ooh, that's a hard pill. See, forgiveness usually starts by us making the first step. We normally say, I will forgive them when they come to me and confess their sin against me. When they make it right, then I will forgive them. But true forgiveness begins when we take the first step. When someone who's not looking to be forgiven we make that step and we start that conversation. We get people coming to us all the time. We've pastored for what, 19 years we're coming up on. And the, the, the thing that always happens, and I always know how it's going to end, is someone will come up to Cindy or I and say, do you know what so-and-so did? And there can be all kinds of levels of this. From, you know, you need to go and slap them out of the hand to you need to go and kick them out of the church to who knows what else. But it's always somebody coming up to us and saying, do you know what so-and-so did to me? 90% of the time, whatever that action was, has absolutely nothing to do with the church. So it's not like they were leading a small group and they did something wrong or they did some sinful activity within the church or to the church. Usually, it's some really silly offense. You know, so-and-so said something to me and offended me. So, Joe, Cindy, do something about that. 
It doesn't work that way. We always pull to Matthew 18, which goes, well, have you talked to them about this? And you know what the response I get? Nope. And I'm not planning on doing it. You're the pastor. You deal with it. Well, I know what's going to happen next. I always know what's going to happen next on this one. It's going to deteriorate and deteriorate and deteriorate. And it's going to fester and it's going to get massive. And before I know it, we're going to lose people from the church because of this unforgiveness. And if I step in and do something with it, I just exasperate the problem. Jesus says, has someone offended you? Has someone sinned against you? Then go to that person and reconcile. Matthew 18. Read it sometimes. It's really good. Thirdly, ask this question. Do you know of anyone that I have wronged whose forgiveness I need to ask? Have you ever discovered that you did something to someone that you had no idea you did and no one ever told you you did anything, and then you find out 20 years later that they hate your guts because you once cut them off in the parking lot and you didn't even realize you did that? You ever have that happen? I have it all the time. I've discovered people I've offended that I didn't even know I knew. See, but your friends know about it because we have this terrible thing in the church called gossip. We usually cluster it in prayer. You know, you've heard this one, right? Will you pray for so-and-so because, you know, they, they have issues and they've offended me and let's pray about it. So is there anybody that I've offended that I need to know about? Those three things, that's where forgiveness starts with. And those are three bitter pills that we don't want the answer to. You don't want to know if someone offended or if you've offended someone, right? I, ignorance is bliss. You don't want to know if you're oozing unforgiveness everywhere, right? I like living in my junk. Now, I want to make one final comment on unforgiveness. And this is more relevant to today than it was years ago. It seems to me like over the past couple of years, people have figured out that unforgiveness can be a really powerful thing. Like it, a powerful force to control and manipulate and motivate people. They've used it to divide us, to turn us against each other. Facebook discovered that, that anger and unforgiveness is awesome for driving content and selling more ads. You ever wonder why you don't see happy stories? Because you don't respond to happy stories. You respond to that other junk. And, and this may have been commonplace in the past in politics, but it's moved into our everyday lives. It's moved into the church. We've experienced in here at levels that, that I've never seen before in my life. It seems to be that the unforgivable sin has, come, has turned into having a different opinion than I have. If you think differently than I am, if you do something slightly, that's unforgivable. And like I said, people have figured out how to, how to really monetize that and use it. And we're being bombarded by it. People we disagree with have become our enemy and we feel empowered to pour out our vengeance on those people. You may say, Joe, you're overreacting on this. So Cindy works at a hospital, right? And one of her jobs every now and then is to sit at the front door at this table and she has a, a, a temperature gun. 
And so when you walk in the hospital, her job, when she gets to do this, is to stop you and say, let me take your temperature, bing, you know. And are you sick? Do you have symptom A, B, C, D, da, 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 da. You know, by the way, you're in a hospital, wear a mask. Okay? That's her job. Not necessarily her political disposition. She didn't create all of that. She didn't decide. It's just her job. She's, I'm sorry, a peon in the whole machinery of the hospital. But she's the frontline peon. And so people come into the hospital, and what she has been called and threatened, and physically threatened, because of just taking a temperature, because of asking to wear a mask. She's been called language that I can't say from the pulpit. She has been physically threatened to the point where she has been fearful. She has no panic button because they didn't design the hospital for this position. They just put a folding table there. So there's no panic button to call security. There's no nothing. But she takes the brunt of it every single day she works there. And here's the interesting thing. For some reason, people feel empowered that it's their responsibility to do that. But the question I have is, how are we supposed to respond in moments like this? Jesus is, is really, really clear about this in Matthew 5. Starting in verse 38, he says this, You have heard it that it was said, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to one who asks you, and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. You have heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only uh, your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. I have heard influential people in our society say publicly that these teachings of Jesus don't work anymore, that we need to reject them and we need to be more aggressive. When we do that, we're demonstrating that our first love is no longer Jesus. I've heard that said to Christian groups. Our first love is no longer Jesus, and our heart begins to die. As followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be different, and that different starts with the condition of our heart. Look, I don't know if you've ever noticed this. The first thing a paramedic does when they come to someone who is unconscious is they check for their pulse. Is their heart actually working? And if our heart isn't working physically and spiritually, then we're dead. We are spiritually dead. If your heart is not working at all, I'd be very concerned about what your relationship with Jesus looks like. You can come to church every day. You can give 
more you can give over and above a tithe. You can build cathedrals. You can do everything. But if your heart is dead, if your first love isn't Christ, if your relationships are garbage, if you hold unforgiveness, it doesn't matter. You're spiritually dead. And so it's extremely important that we need to check our hearts and make sure we're doing everything we can to improve our heart's health. And that's why we exercise, right? Yes, to lose some weight, but we want to strengthen our heart. That's why you go to the grocery store and what do you see on all those cereal boxes, right? The heart. Because this, this, if you buy this processed food, it's better for your heart than this other processed food. And we could talk about that in another season. That's why you eat certain fruits and vegetables, right? Because they're better for your heart. Because a stronger heart usually means a stronger life. A stronger heart spiritually usually means a more fruitful, healthy, powerful spiritual life. So how do we do it? It's simple. We ask, how's our love towards God looking? How's our love towards Christ? Is He our first love? Do we calibrate our day with Jesus or do we calibrate our day with Facebook? How's our love towards people? Are we holding, uh, are we showing love to other people? Do, are our relationships healthy? Are we doing the one another's? Do we have compassion for the lost? Or are they just an annoyance? Are we walking in forgiveness? Or has unforgiveness taken over our lives? Has bitterness taken over our lives? Those answers to those questions will determine what the health of your heart is. And if your heart isn't operating, then you're dead. Let's stand and pray. Holy Spirit, we just invite Your presence right now. Holy Spirit, come into this place. Lord, our desire as a church, our desire as individuals is to lead a fruitful life for You. Our desire is, is at the end of days when we're finally in front of the throne to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. But Lord, we know, we know that that only happens if we're spiritually healthy. And Lord, we know that it's so easy, it's so easy to not realize when things are going wrong. So Holy Spirit, we just invite you right now. Uh, Lord, uh, the Holy, you said that the, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will convict us of sin, will convict us of the areas in our lives that are unpleasing to you. So Lord, we just invite the Holy Spirit right now to come and begin to speak to us, Lord. Begin to show us the condition of our heart. Lord, begin to show us uh, our relationship with You, our relationship with the Father, our relationship with Jesus. Holy Spirit, just begin to show us what that relationship is. If Christ is truly our first love, or if there's so many other things that have taken over for Him. 
Lord, bring conviction in those areas. Bring us to a place of repentance. Lord, help us calibrate our lives towards You. And Holy Spirit, we just invite You right now to look at our relationships. Uh, Lord, uh, just check out the health of our relationships. Father, bring to our attention anywhere where our relationships are lacking. Bring to our attention anywhere where unforgiveness has taken over, where bitterness has taken over in our lives. Holy Spirit, we ask that You come right now and just begin to bring transformation into our It's been a rough two years, guys. And it's probably been a rough decade. And we have been bombarded in ways that we don't even realize it. We've been bombarded by media, by social media. We've been bombarded by politics. We've been bombarded by all kinds of stuff. And all of this stuff can have an adverse effect on our heart. And the first place where healing begins is through repentance. It's just going to the Father and saying, Lord, forgive me. Going to Jesus and saying, Jesus, forgive me. So I just want to invite you, if that's where you're at today, if if something today has just struck a chord in your heart, I just want to invite you to come up. We'd love to pray for you. Because the Lord wants to bring transformation. He wants to bring healing to our hearts. All we have to do is invite Him. Are we going to do one more song? So Holy Spirit, we just invite your presence to come and minister to us today. As we close, feel free to come up. If you need prayer for anything else, feel free to come up as well. Otherwise, may the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever He may send you. May He guide you in the wilderness. May He protect you in the storm. May He bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that He has shown you. May He bring you home rejoicing once again in eternal Have a wonderful Sunday. I, I challenge you this week to keep track of your heart. I challenge you this week as you wake up to do something other than grab your phone. Grab the Word. Spend some time with God. Invite the Holy Spirit. Uh, Prayer doesn't have to be for hours. It can be for 30 seconds. Calibrate Christ. I invite you to do that. I invite you to look in areas of your life where you think there might be unforgiveness, where you think people might be mad at you, and take that first step. that first step. Exercise is always hard that first week, guys. 
it's always hard that first week. Your muscles aren't used to it. Your lungs aren't used to it. Your heart's not used to it. But the more you press into it, the more you push into it, the stronger your heart becomes, the stronger your, your muscles become, the stronger your lungs become. Press into it. May the peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness. May he protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders that he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Have a great week, guys. Communion Sunday next week if you're at home. Make sure you have some bread and juice. We'll see you all next week.